we are going to jump back in here, okay? We're going to go back to the signs of the season, and I'm going to need some help here in just a minute. But uh, we've been talking for the last few weeks about some different reminders around us that point us back to what this was really all about. And so we put up trees, and we decorate lights, and we watch movies about Santa Claus, and we sing songs about reindeer, um, but just trying to guide us back into what this is really all about. I don't know about for you, but this has been kind of a reshaping for me, not just this year, but every year, kind of focusing my mind on what Christmas is really about. You know, rather than having this kind of, you know, mixed up, you got a little bit of Jesus, and you got a little bit of holiday, and you got a little bit of family tradition. Not that any of those other things are bad, but sometimes it gets mixed in like it's, it's all about Christ, and it's not. And so just trying to really let my heart be in joined to what matters the most has been uh, a good refresher here for me through the signs of the season. And so, so far we've worked through a few of these. We've worked through the Christmas wreaths that we saw were evergreen and never ending. They're that circle wreath which reminds us that the kingdom of God never weakens, never changes, never ends. We talked about the Christmas tree and so I hope you've been able to pause and look at some Christmas trees maybe in your own house or here as you walk out or in different neighborhoods or stores. And just remind yourself that the light of the world has come and that he's changing people's lives still yet today. And then last week we talked about what? Do you remember? Last week was the candy of Christmas. All right. And so we've had, uh, we looked at the candy cane last week and saw that uh, the gospel reaches to the lowest people, including shepherds, which would be people like us, right? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own wicked way. And so we would fit that bill. So the gospel comes to the lowest of the low. It also pointed us back to the care and continual protection and guidance of a shepherd and ultimately the one who is our good shepherd who's overseeing our soul as Peter wrote about. And so those were three things that we've dealt with so far, signs of the season. And uh, maybe it'll help you when you think about looking at decorations or even when we take them down just to be reminded of these things. So today we're going to go to another C. All right, and those, this is going to be um, the carols of Christmas. And so I'm not an alliteration guy, but that's just how this came out. And so we've had the, the colors of Christmas. We had the candles of Christmas. We've had the candy of Christmas. We've got the carols of Christmas all under this signs of the season heading. And we'll have one more C next week, and I'm pretty sure you can guess what that one is. Um, but nonetheless, that's where we'll be. So when you think about carols, Songs, not people, carols of the season. Do you have a favorite carol? What's your favorite Christmas carol? Silent Night. Joy to the World, right? The first Noel or Noel, okay? Mary, did you know? All right. Mem? O come, O come, Emmanuel. Anybody else have a favorite carol? Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You like that one? Yeah. <laughs> a beautiful star of Bethlehem. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Angels we have heard on high. And sleigh bells. <laughs> all right. Well, good. So we've got all these different songs here, mostly carols that point us back to what the season is all about. But 
So let's talk about the carols for a little bit, and then we'll get into how that reflects itself in the Scriptures. Um, anybody have a guess when the carols originated? When did Christmas carols start being sung? I had to look this up. I didn't know this myself. But most Christmas carols were written between the years of 1400 and 1700 as far as uh, the dating is concerned. And they tend to always have a theme to them that's uh, a melody to them that's joyful. And so it's light, it's merry, it directs you to things that are uh, just reminding you of, of great joy. And typically they're simple and honest in the words that, they are, that they're expressing. A lot of people have claimed that their country is the first to sing these, and so we're not real sure who was the first country to sing them. We do know, though, in like 1500, Martin Luther, uh, or in the 15th century, rather, he was speaking about how he would travel with people who would go from house to house singing Christmas carols. And so we know that this practice has been going on uh, for many, many years, traveling around singing songs. Um, but probably, if we think about the first Christmas carol, when you think about the angels showed up after the angel announced to the shepherds, that the good news of great joy has come. There's this heavenly host of angels who say together, glory to God in the highest, right? So maybe that's the first Christmas carol. That's probably as accurate as we could get tracking backwards. Now, in the 18th century, there were a group of people known as the Waits, W-A-I-T-S. What did the Waits do? Do you remember? The Waits were the people who would call the hour on the hour through the nighttime. And so they would walk around the town telling you that it's midnight or that it's one o'clock and they would just, they would call the hour on the hour. Well, their role began to grow as some of them gained some musical ability. And so they would play fiddles and oboes and wind instruments. And while they were traveling around calling the hours in the night during Christmas, they would also sing Christmas carols. And so they became more known for that later as people who would carry the message of Christ through song throughout their communities. And so that's, uh, that's typically past now. We don't have people calling the hour on the hour to us. And very seldom do you find people traveling maybe community to community with instruments. However, there's still people who go house to house, right? Anybody had any carolers at your house this year? Nope. Anybody been caroling? Okay. So some still do this, right? Some get out with their maybe a school group or with the church group. Uh, families, and they'll travel around trying to point people back to the spirit of Christmas through the gift of music. And so the point is this. All of these carols, from the point they've originated to today, they're still serving the same purpose, and that's to remind us specifically of the joy of this season. And so today we're going to focus in on the joy, all right? So the carols of Christmas remind us of joy. So let's go to our text here, Isaiah chapter 9. You can follow along on the wall. You can follow along in your Bible here. Once again, we're going to hit these first seven verses. And remember, Isaiah is writing to people who are currently living in a pretty good day, but their day is getting ready to be ruined. They're going to be overtaken. Their cities are going to be destroyed. They're going to be held captive. And he's telling them, this is what's coming down the pipe for you. However, God will not leave you in this position. Okay, there will be a day of joy that returns. And so let's go. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 begins. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And here's how he's going to do that. Verse 2. 
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so I love the contrast there. Deep darkness, great light. And so you can't get too low where the light can't shine. All right? So we talked about that in the candles of Christmas. You've enlarged the nation. You've increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. There will be no more use for it. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So we spent some time there as we talked about the colors of Christmas. All right, so for today we're going to be in the carols of Christmas. Specifically, we're going to be in verse 3. And so we'll highlight that several times as we progress here this morning. And so if you'd like to <clears throat> excuse me, follow along in your bulletin, you can there this morning. You don't have to at all. Uh, but it's there. I guess you can't follow along in your bulletin, can you? You can use a, a two-week-old bulletin, or you can make notes in the margin of your Bible. All right, so here we go. The carols of Christmas. Number one, they're going to remind us to look at what Christ has done. Okay, remind us to take a step back, to pause, to think about some of the things that, that Christ has done. So all these other things serve us as reminders as well. So the wreath is a reminder. It's not just a pretty decoration. And if that's all it is in our house or in our church, we're missing it. The lit Christmas tree is a reminder. And if it doesn't serve us as a reminder, we might as well chuck it. It's just a piece of nostalgia. Uh, it's not serving the purpose that it was intended. And the same thing with the candy and here today even with the carols. They all remind us here specifically that God is at work. And so Isaiah was trying to remind these readers initially that, listen, God is going to seemingly come against you and he's going to allow some real heartache and destruction to come your way. But don't live there, okay? You've got hope, you've got peace, you've got joy, you've got something coming down the pipe here. Be ready for it. Pass it on to your children. Joy will return. And so here we go back in verse 3. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. And so that verse starts out there, you have, all right? So who's the you of the you have? The you of the you have would be God. And so here we're talking about what God is doing. And so God was at work in Isaiah's day. God was at work at the stable. God was at work even now yet today. And so the scripture reminds us that God is still at work. And so if you want to know this joy, you first got to receive this joy. And this joy is found only in Christ. All right? Unto us a son is born, unto us the son is given. If a son is not born and given, there's no such thing as joy. There's fun, there's happiness, there's pleasure, but joy would be non-existent. Joy is only in Jesus alone. We sang it this morning, in Christ what? In Christ alone, okay? So apart from Jesus, joy isn't even in your dictionary. There's no such thing as joy. And so here we're reminded, for those who have received Christ, then joy is present. If you've believed in Him and you're saved, then joy can be present. But what tends to happen is I don't focus on Christ. And so when I don't focus on Jesus, then I, my joy begins to diminish. 
Right? So it, wouldn't it be nice if it was just always present even if we didn't pay God any attention? If we didn't read his word, if we didn't pray, if we weren't drawing close to him, if all we did was just live our life, the rest of our life, saved, stopped, and then go on till death, wouldn't it be nice if joy just resided and was always ruling our heart? However, we can allow our joy to diminish. Right? So when I get focused on things that aren't as important, when I allow my situations to distract or discourage or mislead me, then I can find myself lacking in this joy. Not that Christ is gone, it's just that I've let something else rule my heart. And so here, the carol of Christmas initially is going to remind us to remember what, what God has done. And so we sing songs like we did this morning. Joy to the world, just to remind ourselves that joy has come. Right? We can sing joy to the world in the middle of June. We might should do that one time. And we can sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing in August. Because it's just as true then as it is right now. It's not just a seasonal you know, moment where we remember this thing. It's something that should always motivate or compel our joy. And so here we've got carols again. And they remind us, gift of God, this light of the world who has come. They again stir our hearts with anticipation and longing. And they remind us that this is not about what we can do. Right? Life here is not about what I get done. Life here is about what God can get done and what God is getting done. So it's joy to the world, the Lord has come. It's not joy to the world, look what I've accomplished. It's joy to the world, thanking God for the things that he has done, his work. So Isaiah's day, still yet today, <clears throat> excuse me, God is working among us. All right, the carols of Christmas, look at what God has done. And that's a good reminder here. We need to pause and think. Pause and think. And so I'd encourage you, go home and read about some of these carols. Look them up. You'll find some accurate websites that talk about how they were written, who the author was, what they were going through in their life at the time of writing. Uh, you'll find that it's encouraging. Right? These people were no different than you and I. They loved God. They were in a world that was seemingly hopeless, and they were in places of distress, and yet there was joy. And so they sit down and they write words of thanksgiving and praise because of the work that God had done in their day, days prior, and we celebrate now in ours. All right, they remind us to look at what God has done. Secondly here, they're going to stir our hearts with inexpressible joy. By inexpressible, what we mean is that it's, I can't just fully explain it, okay? You ever had that difficulty? Trying to talk to somebody about how, how good something is, and you just can't fully put it into words, right? It's like, I'm telling you, but it's just not, you're not catching it. You know, you... What do we end up saying? Well, you just had to be there, right? I can't just put it in words where you, you just had to be there to be able to explain it. And so here, inexpressible joy is just that way. It's, it's a fullness that never finds its completion. I just keep praising. I just keep worshiping. I just keep giving thanks. I just keep enjoying the Lord. It's like I can't do this enough where it's like finally I've got it all out there. It just continues to remain. Now, Lots of Christmas songs I think about when I think about the Christmas season. Um, Frosty the Snowman, you guys know that song, right? And so Frosty the Snowman can bring a sense of nostalgia, you know, maybe take you back to your childhood, maybe a specific Christmas or a specific moment that you have a memory of. You know, I can remember in sixth grade at Baum Elementary School, we had a Christmas program and we were singing Jingle Bells and everybody got these little, it's like kind of like a bracelet, but you held it in your hand and it had three little bells on it. And we were singing Jingle Bells as sixth graders, just shaking those things. So anytime I hear Jingle Bells, I can just picture that. I was watching these children here last Friday singing 
And I was like, oh, I could just, I can feel myself back on that little platform in the library singing to our parents, Jingle Bells. Just kind of took me back to a fun, one of my favorite years of school, sixth grade. Uh, so songs like that can take us back. Uh, maybe if you listen to, when I hear Charlie Brown Christmas, it takes me back to being a little child. My older brother Travis is a piano player, among other things, and, and he learned how to play all the Charlie Brown Christmas songs. And so he'd play those at Christmas, and he would draw Charlie Brown Christmas cards and set those under the tree. And so when I hear that, it just kind of takes me back, like, oh, that was my childhood Christmas. You know, like the Polaroid cameras, the film, that you know, the pictures look like they're still developing. You know, the color's just not that great in it. They're kind of faded or whatever, but that's the best they've always been. So sometimes we hear a song like that, and it takes us back to a moment. But I've never heard Frosty the Snowman and went, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, I've never sung Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and just had like an overwhelming, inexpressible joy. It took me back to a moment, but you know what? Those moments have faded. I'm not a sixth grade boy anymore, and I'm not living with my brothers under my parents' roof anymore. Those days have come, and they've gone. And so here, the carols of Christmas point us back to the joy that is forever the same, the joy that is consistent. And so it comes back to Christ. And so let's read this here again. You have, speaking of God, this is what God has done. You're the one working. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. And so they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. <clears throat> and so here again, the focus is on those who know the Lord. And for those who know the Lord, what he says here, he will be the increaser of your joy. Okay? So joy is not something you have to manufacture. You know, sometimes people tell us just to get over it. Suck it up. It's just the way life is, so just get through it. It's, it's just everybody's got to deal with it. Like somehow that's going to replenish the joy that's lacking in my joy bucket. All right? That's not how it works. All right? You have enlarged. You have increased their joy. So if you've got joy within you, it's not because you figured something out. It's because of God at work in you, Christ in us. And so joy comes, and the beauty of joy in the Christmas carol is that it often swells as we remind ourselves of who he is and what he's doing. So joy's always been present. When you think about Jesus, you can't separate Jesus from joy. When you think about the cross, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, right? We think, man, that's a dark day. That is a dark day, and it's a joyous day. It's a difficult day, and it's a glorious day. It's a day to mourn. It's the greatest day on the planet to celebrate when sins were paid for. Joy was present even in that moment. Luke 2.10, you might remember the angel. We said this earlier, appears to the shepherds. And the angel says, behold, I bring you good tidings of, of great joy. All right? I bring you good tidings of great joy. And so these shepherds were amazed. So they go to the manger and they see this child there. And when they return in Luke 2.20, it says that they were worshiping and praising God. They had great joy at the sight of Christ. So the pronouncement brought joy. When the shepherds saw the child, there was joy. Matthew 2 verse 10, you've got the wise men from the east coming to look for Jesus. And the Bible says in verse 10, when they saw the star, they... That's right. When they saw the star, they rejoiced. That's not just a song. That's right out of the Bible. When the wise men saw the star, they knew that the world had been changed. And so they came in pursuit of this joy that was in them. When they saw the child, they rejoiced. 
So when you think of Jesus, there's always joy. Think about Mary. You've got Elizabeth who is about six months pregnant. You've got Mary who was just promised that the Messiah is going to be born through her. And so she runs to her cousin Elizabeth's house and she greets her. And Elizabeth pauses her and says, wait just a minute. Upon hearing your greeting, this baby in my womb leaped for, leaped for joy. All right, so when Jesus is around, there is joy. And it's from God here that we find the increase of joy. So if Jesus is a part of your life, then this is your story. Joy is yours. It's not something I can take out of my pocket and hand to you. It's not something that we can surgically implant in you. When Jesus said, John 15, 11, I'm, I'm giving you my joy, that my joy may be in you and that it may be complete or that it may be full. He meant that. My joy in you. Me in you. And I will make this full and I will make this complete. And so if Jesus is in you, joy is there. Sometimes we've got to mine it out as we get our hearts drawn back close to Him, letting the difficulties or struggles, the heartaches, the loneliness, the brokenness, the unfulfilled dreams, letting them fade in the light and beauty of this glorious and inexpressible joy. Peter wrote about this as well. He says, though you've not seen Him, this is your story and mine. Though you've not seen Jesus, you love Him. And even though you don't see Him now, you believe in Him and you are filled with what? That's right. An inexpressible and glorious joy. All right, so this comes from knowing Jesus. And so when He lives in us, just like He told His disciples, my joy will fulfill itself in you. It'll be full in you. It will complete you. It will be glorious. And it will be inexpressible. And so though we've not seen Him, just like He promised His disciples, our joy can be full. And so He stirs our hearts, these carols. We sing about them because they point us back to Christ. And when we're pointed back to Christ, the gift of God, our hearts can be stirred once again with inexpressible joy. And then three here, the gospel of Christmas. The, the carols of Christmas, rather, they're going to compel us to do what we should do all the time. Right? These things should compel us to worship the Lord. That's what we're after here. So another reason to sing Christmas carols is to get this right. All right? And so at our house, there's all sorts of radio stations you can play right now that play all sorts of the you know, white Christmas and all the time-life treasury of music. And there's nothing wrong with those songs. But what I want ringing in my ears when I leave my house are truths about Christ. I want to hear about Him. You know, I can get jingle bells anywhere. I can get frosty anywhere. I can get Rudolph anywhere. What I need to hear is the truth about Jesus. And so we sing carols to, to get this right. You ever feel like you're doing pretty good in life? I mean, I'm doing all right. I'm kind of making my way, working hard, trying to live right. I'm doing things pretty well. So I think sometimes what I fail to do is acknowledge that every good thing that I have has come from God. And so what these carols do, they point me back to the one who's the supplier of everything that I have, acknowledging not that I'm good, but acknowledging that God is great. And so let's go back. Isaiah says, this is what you people will be doing. You don't get it. Right? All this was prophecy. And so a day of distress is coming. A day of gloom is coming. But there's also going to come a day where God is going to be at work in a way that just blows your mind. He's going to cause you to rejoice. He's going to increase your joy. And you will rejoice before, and they rejoice before God as people rejoice at the harvest 
or as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. And so here Isaiah is saying something very specific, like these people are going to celebrate. Okay, so how do you celebrate when harvest comes around? All right, so maybe when Thanksgiving, that'd be the closest we get. I don't know that any of us celebrate harvest. You know, not like back in the day. And so we've got to kind of look back and remind ourselves, what are you talking about when you're talking about people celebrate at harvest time? Okay, what are you talking about when people are celebrating plunder? You ever destroyed somebody and inherited their stuff, their spoils? No, I haven't either. So I've got to understand this. Like Isaiah, what are you saying? What does it mean to celebrate harvest? What does it mean to celebrate plunder? All right, well, let's go to Deuteronomy 14. And here is an example of what happens when people celebrate the harvest. So harvest has come. This is about tithing. Bring this to the Lord. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Okay? Produce each year. So this is at the end. It's collection time. All right? You've brought it all in. You've got 10 bushels. One of them you're going to give to the Lord as an act of worship. 23. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. And so here it is. Acknowledging that this is what God has done. Acknowledging that uh, we are to worship Him because we're dependent upon Him and because He supplies our need. All, right? All this stuff, you bring the tithe to revere the Lord. 24. But if that place is too distant and you've been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put His name is so far away, He's saying, if it's too far to take your tithe, your livestock, your grain uh, to the Lord, then here's what you do. Exchange your tithe for silver Take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Then when you get there, use the silver to buy whatever you like. Cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink. Anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and, and rejoice. Alright? And so here it is. There's this picture of celebration. There's this picture of joy at harvest time. Now, I've seen this a little bit in action. My father-in-law is a farmer, and we've been there when it's hard, and we've been there when it's been good. And so we've seen people plant, and some of you, this is your life experience as well. Growing up early on, you were out planting fields, and you know how hard that is to, uh, to make that happen. And so I've been there, and I've seen that as well. When uh, in the middle of June here a couple years ago, we were in um, Florida, and my father-in-law was asking, or he was out working the field. <clears throat> Hundred some degrees. I mean, just stupid hot, incredibly humid. And so I said to him, hey, is there something I can help you with? And Because I want to be a good son-in-law. I want to honor my father-in-law. And so he said, yeah, you can come out and help me today. So we went out to pull weeds. All right? So the plants are about this tall. Okay? This is morning. Um, but it was... I mean, just blistering hot. So you got these hats on with the big rims. They got the sheets or whatever hanging on, <laughs> cover your neck and everything. And we're out there pulling weeds that are as tall as I am. And I forget what they're called, but they're resilient to any kind of weed killer. And they've got a root ball on them that's about the size of a basketball. And so what we would do, we'd grab this stalk 
by the middle and we'd yank it up out of the ground and we'd throw it off to the side. Right? Well, my father-in-law has 20-some years on me. 26, 27 years on me. And he put me to shame. And he, we're just walking, I mean, acres and acres and acres of field with weeds just kind of scattered throughout. And you'd walk around and yank that thing out of the ground and just throw it to the side. After about two hours, I didn't think I was going to make it back to the truck. And that's in all seriousness. I'd quit sweating. I'd sweat through all my clothes. I'd quit sweating. Heaviness of breath. Was getting dizzy. And I'm out in the field like this. And I look over and he's still going. And I'm like, there's no way I'm stopping. <laughs> I'm going to die in this field. I'm not going to be the son-in-law that wimps out in the middle of the field here. And so we kept working and kept working and kept working. But that's hard. There's a lot of work to be able to harvest something. Right? And it'd be nice if you could just plant it and all of a sudden it happens. But there's a lot of mending or, or tending. You've got to take care of that thing so that it will produce. And so when you work hard at something to finally have the harvest come, there's reason to celebrate. When you pray for people and you sow the gospel seed with people and you don't see it growing, sometimes you can get discouraged. Sometimes our job is to come along and yank weeds out of people's lives. This is unnecessary. This isn't good for you. I'm just trying to help you out. And we pray somewhere along the way that there will be a harvest there, right? The Bible says the sower and the reaper will harvest together. But if I'm going to harvest, I've got to be sowing. I've got to be working at it. And so here we see anyway in the Old Testament the picture of celebration. It's hard, but you've got to do it. And when you do it, you'll reap the reward of that, which is this harvest. A time to rejoice. And so that's a little bit about what it would be like at harvest time. As a matter of fact, this would last for days. There would be dancing, there would be singing, there would be feasting, there would be this gathering of people, and it would be just a joyous time worshiping God for what He had done. Now, a farmer is just somebody who's utterly dependent on God to work. He can plant, but if it doesn't rain, what happens? Yeah, it'll dry up in that ground and die. He can plant, and it can just get saturated. What happens? It can get diseased, or here again, it can just basically drown there in that ground and die. So a farmer knows full well that he's dependent on something beside himself to make this thing happen. And yet in the end, they rejoice in the days of harvest. It's a time to celebrate. Now, God's not telling us to go out and plant so we know what it's like to rejoice. He's saying this is what people will do when they have Christ in their life. This is what they'll be compelled to rejoice, compelled to worship. Now let's look at the other of this. I could understand harvest a little better. Uh, the deal here with plunder is a little bit more challenging for me. So this is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is a great story, by the way, uh, to refresh in your memory. I'd go back and read the beginning portions of 2 Chronicles chapter 20 just to get a glimpse of what's going on there. But King Jehoshaphat, they've come under attack, or they're about to be attacked. The prophet prophesies this is what's going to happen. Jehoshaphat brings people together and they begin to fast and pray to the Lord. You've brought us here, God. Deliver us, we pray. And this prophet speaks up and says, the Lord will deliver this over to you. You won't have to lift a hand. One of the beautiful things about this story, and we won't take time to dive too deep, is that these people start celebrating. They're living from a position of victory before the battle has ever taken place. They were just promised it was going to happen. And so Jehoshaphat, he says, hey, you, 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 you're my singers. You lead us. Go ahead and just take off. We're going to sing and rejoice. We haven't even fought yet, but we know the battle is ours, so let's celebrate. 
And so they take off heading towards war. And when they get over the hill, they see the three who had come against them, the other three areas, nations, were all laying dead in the field. They had all battled and killed one another. And so here's where we pick it up in verse 25. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder. And they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. That's just crazy to me. Three days to, can you imagine driving somewhere back and forth for three days and just loading your car as full as you can, going somewhere and dropping it off and going back, load it up, going back, drop. For three days, they just loaded plunder and they just took it home. I mean, it's just incredible amount of spoils. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barakah where they praised the Lord. And this is why it's called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem. They went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. What are these people doing? They're rejoicing. They're worshiping the Lord, right? They're celebrating what God has done. And so these carols of Christmas remind us not that we're ever going to experience the spoil of war, that we may never experience what it's like to celebrate at harvest time, the, the harvest. The point is that we can celebrate the joy that has been given to us through Jesus. So just like they, they've got lyres, stringed instruments, and they went to the temple to celebrate, right? That's how we should gather when we, sell, when we come to worship. It's to be joyful. It's to be exuberant. It's to be something that is with gratitude and thankfulness in light of that joy that is within us. And so when I was reading through this and thinking about this, it just kind of worked me over a little bit. Like when we gather together, do we sing with great joy? When we worship, is it full of just inexpressible joy? Are we compelled as we think about what God has done? Or maybe sometimes we're not compelled because we've put a little bit too much credit on our own back. Here the, the plunderer and the harvester both knew if it wasn't for God, we would have no reason to celebrate or to rejoice or to worship. And so here we see, through these carols of Christmas, once again, they point us back to what God has done so that we in turn will worship Him, the one who's the author of our joy. And so just like the wreath and the candy cane and the candles have great purpose, so do the carols. And it's not just something to bring back the feeling of Christmas. They don't just point back to things in our past, but it's to stir our hearts that God is at work today. And so remember what God has done and let your heart be stirred with inexpressible joy. And as it is, wherever you find yourself in those moments, worship Him. You don't have to sit on stained wood and carpet to worship the Lord, right? We don't have to gather in a facility that's called a church building to worship the Lord. And so let your heart be full. Let your heart be inexpressible as you think about what God has done. And let the result of that be just this fullness of worship. And your heart will find its greatest completion when you're worshiping with an understanding and depth of joy. And that all comes through Christ. And so here today, I just wonder if you know this joy. I hope that you do. I hope that you know Jesus as your Savior. If you don't, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. You've got expressible pleasure. 
You've got expressible fun. You've got some expressible happiness. What Peter says, for those who have Christ in them, they've never seen him, yet they believe in him. They have an inexpressible joy because his joy is made complete in us. And so maybe today you'd like to receive Christ. I don't know where you are personally if you've got uh, something you've never prayed and something you've never received there. Maybe you are living in light of what God has done, though. I just wonder, is your joy growing? Like, do you have an ever-increasing joy? You know, there are people in my life that I look up to who are many years ahead of me, Christians, and I see them navigating life with great joy. I see them navigating hardship with great joy. Then there are other people who are many years ahead of me, Christians, who seem to navigate life with just, just a depressed spirit. No smile on their face, no gladness in their heart, no laughter in their voice. It's just kind of a gloom. Man, I want my joy to increase. I want my joy to be full. And for that to happen, I've got to continually be focusing on who Christ is. That's why we sing carols. It's not just to fill a song list for Christmas. Is there an ever-widening of your worship of God? When you think of all the ways that He's worked in your life, Do you find reason over and over again to celebrate? I'm sure the harvesters danced in the field. Now there are times where we've been riding in the truck, carrying corn, going to the gin, and you can just sense it. There's just a lightness, there's a happiness, there's a delight. Looking back, seeing the truck get filled, getting your receipt for all that you've just dumped here, telling you how much that you've stored up with them. When you drive down the road and you see these big, um, blocks of cotton that are just tons of weight. I mean, people drive by and they just smile. It's like there's such a sense of joy and satisfaction and contentment in the harvester. Just as there is in the plunderer, so there should be in the person or the people of Christ. So I want my joy to be widening so that I worship God everywhere. I want to be downhearted, gloomy, distressed, or worried. I want to live in the light of this joy.